Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Tom Wheelwright on the show. He's the author of Tax-Free Wealth, which is a book that some of you may have heard of. It's a book written in conjunction with the, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series of books. He's a Rich Dad advisor and happens to be the tax advisor for Robert Kiyosaki, which is um, pretty pretty awesome. And Tom Wheelwright owns Wealth Advi- WealthAbility, which is a network of of CPAs and tax strategists that um, can help people all around the country. So uh, Tom, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Great, great to be with you, Ben. I, I love that you're looking at this at, at your age and when you're first getting started, this is amazing. Oh yeah, I really appreciate it. And yeah, I guess I have the, the time value of money on my side, but also there's a lot of a lot of potential for, for the government to start taking my money. So um, better start thinking about it now. And I definitely reading your book and some other books on the topic, I've definitely become someone who finds taxes to be fun and exciting when most people think it's the one of, it's, it's up there with death is the worst things in the world. So, but yeah, I think after the show, I hope people equally feel as excited as, as we do. Let's start with what's your first milestone in real estate? Yeah. So I, I would say um, my first milestone was uh, when I played the cash flow game. This is uh, the, the Kiyosaki cash flow game. And uh, my, my parents were real estate investors. They had real estate all the time I was growing up. And, um, and yet when I graduated college, I didn't immediately invest in real estate. And uh, it really wasn't until I'm sitting down playing the cash flow game for the first time um, uh, because I was actually looking at acquiring the CPA firm that Robert Kiyosaki was a client of. And the, uh, the, the seller, they said, you have to play this game first before we can even talk about you acquiring the CPA firm. I said, and my partner, and I said, that's fine. We're happy to do that. So we, my partner and I, um, and we've been partners for over 20 years now, but we were, um, we were through that game. Uh, we'd probably 45 minutes in that game and, and we're, and we look at each other going, oh yeah, we get this. And literally within 30 days, we had our first property. So it, it was just like, this is so obvious once you play the cash flow game, it's so obvious um, the power of real estate. Um, and then when you add in, um, you know, just the idea you've got, you've got the real estate advantages. It's a hard asset. You've got debt, which is an enormous advantage because you can leverage that. And the third one is it's got as we as my partner and I have known for had known years and years before that is that it has great tax advantages. And I'd been. Uh, I'd been advising on the tax aspects of real estate my entire career. I'd just never done it myself. So I think that, I think that big milestone for me was, oh yes, I ought to be doing this myself. And I think that when, when you have uh, advisors who actually do what you want to do or do what you're doing, I think it makes a very big difference in how um, the advisor looks at that topic. So I look at real estate very different since I became a real estate investor than I did before I became a real estate investor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess let's take it a little back. Where did you start? What was your first introduction to tax? And is what's your journey to now owning, you know, your own company and, and um, you know, in terms of, you know, I guess a, a lot of tax accountants, are less entrepreneurial than, than you are for, for sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, very, very few are more entrepreneurial than I am. But um, so I, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Utah um, in Salt Lake City. And then I did my graduate work at the University of Texas in Austin um, in tax. And then um, I really got my, I call my postgraduate work. So I started with Ernst & Young. And I did my postgraduate work in the National Tax Office of Ernst & Young, which is, I mean, this is literally, I walked in the door and I'm going, oh my heavens, these are the, these are the people who wrote the textbooks. These are not your average tax 
professionals. These are the people who literally wrote the textbooks that we used in college. I mean, these are the best um, tax professionals in the world. And so really I was in over my head completely. Um, but the, the amount that I learned in three years was more than I think I could have learned in 20 years without that experience. It was just that concentrated. Um, and they weren't nice. I mean, they were, they were good people, but they weren't nice about it. I mean, like we used to call it um, bleeding all over your work. So this was way before you were born. And this is, uh, this is back in the days when we actually used a pencil or a pen to write. Um, most of us use a pencil, although I had a, I had a, a manager who used a, an erasable pen and then would just literally bleed all over it, meaning that the red pen would be more than the, the blue pen you wrote in. Um, there'd be more red corrections than there are the actual blue. So they were uh, terrific editors and it, it was a terrific uh, learning experience. Um, then I, I left there and I went actually was in uh, semi in charge of the real estate tax practice at Ernst & Young in Phoenix. Um, I was really the senior manager uh, in charge of that practice. And then um, I spent four years as the in-house tax advisor for Fortune 1000. The reason they hired me was for my real estate experience because they had just bought a real estate development company. So I, I was in real estate really with that company. Their primary business was public utility, but they just bought this big real estate development company and they really needed somebody who understood real estate. And um, so I got to use my expertise there and uh, and then uh, started my own company. Uh, geez, it's been almost 30 years ago that I, um, actually, sorry. Um, yeah, almost 30 years ago, I started my first company. And uh, from there we, we grew, we expanded, I sold that company. And about five years ago, we started this new company, which is uh, basically education and marketing company, training company for CPAs. Awesome. So I guess the, the first lesson I think that most people need to hear is why, I guess, a lot of people think that it's, I guess, patriotic to pay taxes or that a lot of people give or get mad at billionaires for not paying taxes, this whole sentiment in the news. Um, I, I'm under the, the feeling that, you know, there's a reason why it's not just tax loopholes. People are, the government is incentivizing people to do certain things with their money. And that's, that's why the tax codes are in the way it is. But um, I think the way you, you speak about that in your book is, is pretty, pretty beautiful. And I want to kind of, before we get into the, the details of tax, kind of want to set the, set the stage for, 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 you know, what is this, this business that you do and, you know, why is, why is saving on taxes? Uh, you're right. Uh, well, so here, here's, here's what's interesting to me. I've never had anybody say, well, my tax benefits are bad and yours are good. It's always my tax benefits. Those are noble, yours are not. And so, you know, I, I'm waiting for the first person to actually turn down a deduction for their mortgage on their tax return or the first person to turn down a, a credit for sending their, their child to college or the first person to turn down any tax benefit. I have never once met that person. So, so to me, it's very disingenuous to say, well, you know, the rich should pay more tax and you know, they're, that they're, they're getting away with things. I'm going, well, they're not getting away with anything you're not getting away with. You know, what's different is, is that they earn their money differently and they spend their money differently. So fundamentally um, we have, it's interesting. I don't know if you've heard the idea of a consumption tax, but we think of sales tax as a consumption tax because we only pay it when we consume, right? We go buy something at at, uh, at the at Walmart. We buy something at um, you know at uh, Costco, whatever. We're going to pay sales tax. Okay. Well, we only pay it because we're actually buying something we're going to consume, right? Um, what people don't recognize is that the income tax has become in this country, a consumption tax. It's just a progressive rate consumption tax because here's what happens. We only pay tax on money we spend or save. It's the only, only time we ever pay tax is we either spend the money or we save the money. And saving in the stock market is still saving the money, okay? So if you invest your money for the long-term in a 401k, you're not gonna pay tax, at least not immediately. 
Um, if you invest your money in a business, you're not going to pay tax. If you invest your money in real estate, you're not going to pay tax. If you invest your money in um, uh, solar energy, it's like, we, you know, we, we, I hear all these complaints and it's by the same people. This is what's crazy, Ben. So the same people that are saying, oh, we need, we need, we, we've got climate change. So we need to stimulate um, the, the, the solar industry. And we're going to do that. How are we going to do that? Oh, I don't know. Let's do it through tax credits. Well, okay. So we got these tax credits, 30% put solar on your house, 30% for both the battery and the, and the um, panels. I mean, that's a pretty big credit. Anybody can get that. You can be an employee. You can be self-employed. You can be a, you can be Warren Buffett. You get that. Okay. But the difference is, is that um, if you put it on your home and you're only serving yourself, okay. And this is where I get, I, I'm going to get a little agitated here, but <laughs> when you're only serving yourself, you get a little tax benefit. You buy a home for yourself. You get a little tax benefit for, for that mortgage interest or that those real estate taxes. You put solar on your house for yourself. You get a little tax benefit. You get that 30% tax credit. But when you start doing things for other people or for the economy, now all of a sudden you get lots of tax benefits. For example, I don't know, you build a whole car company to pr produce electric cars. We call that Tesla, all right? He didn't pay tax for 20 years. Well, why not? Well, because he wasn't spending his money. He wasn't saving his money. He was putting all his money back into his factories, all his money back into, into, into the production of those cars. He never spent any of it. I mean, this is a guy who lives in a tiny home, right? I mean, so we're not talking about somebody who spends a lot of money. We're talking about somebody who invests a lot of money. So, if, if we're doing something that creates something for somebody else, we get a tax benefit. So let's go to solar, for example. If you put solar on your house, that's just for you. But if you put solar on rental property, and that's for somebody else, you get not just a tax credit, but you also get a deduction. So you get two tax benefits. So really fundamentally, the, the rule is, if you do something for yourself, you get a little benefit if the government wants you to do it, if you do something that, that affects uh, somebody else, but especially if it affects a lot of people, you get a lot of tax benefits and anybody can do it. So this is why I'm always saying, Ben, the more generous you are, the less tax you'll pay. So if you build housing for other people, you'll pay a lot less tax. If you, if you, um, if you grow food for other people, you pay less tax. You grow food for yourself, you don't get any tax benefit for that. But if you grow people food for other people, you do. If you um, uh, invest in energy that other people are going to use, okay, you get multiple tax benefits. If you invest in the energy just for yourself, you may get a little tax benefit. So it's really a matter of how generous are you? And, and so when I look at, now, are there people who cheat on the taxes? Yes, but I'm going to tell you, Ben, they are all over the board. So if you, here's the way you test it. If somebody says, you let, let's say you have a painter come out to your house or you know somebody mowing your lawn. They said, um, we'll give you a discount for cash. That's a tax cheat, by the way. That is a tax cheat. If, if they give you a discount other than the 3% credit card discount, okay? But if they give you a substantial discount, like a 10 or 20% discount for cash, guaranteed they're a tax cheat. So don't be thinking that the tax cheats are all billionaires. In fact, I would say most of the most of the rich people they're not they don't have to cheat, right? They they understand the law or their advisors understand the law, the law so well they don't have to cheat. They have no interest in cheating. Cheating is for small minds and small people. All right? And 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 I'm I'm like why would you ever cheat? You don't need to because the tax law is built it's fundamentally a roadmap to show you how to reduce your taxes. Why would you ever cheat in the first place? I mean, to me, that's just stupid. Yeah. So you, you bring up the very astute point that these, these billionaires, these people who aren't paying a lot of taxes are not, it's not tax loopholes. No, they're taking advantage of incentives that the government puts into place so that they, so that there will be more housing, so that there will be more jobs, so that things that are 
the government wants to happen will be done by people who are good at doing those things, right? Private individuals are seem to be better at building housing than the government, seem to be better at creating jobs than the government. They want you to do this. So they say, okay, we won't charge you t- taxes because we want you to put that money into doing the things that we want you to do. So yeah, so that- let, let, me, let me give you a really relevant uh, current day example. So one, I think everybody would agree that one of the biggest issues we have, not just in this country, by the way, in most developed countries is homelessness. Um, I, I mean, I'm headed to Paris in a couple of weeks and uh, I'm guarantee you on every corner, there's going to be not a homeless person, a homeless family. Um, you go to San Francisco, LA, Phoenix, New York, du- Chicago, doesn't matter where you go. There's homeless people camped out. Okay. All right. Well, we, we all agree people shouldn't have to be homeless. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to say, oh no, they deserve to be homeless. I mean, uh, seriously, you'd have to have the coldest heart in the world to think that. What's the solution? So let me give you, let me, let me tell you what the government says the solution is. And this is actually, if you look at the website, you look at the low income tax, low income housing tax credit website, and, and they will show you that the most important, the best way to reduce, to, to bring housing prices down is to give a tax credit for low income housing. It has been the biggest driver of low income housing ever in the history of this country. So here's what we have instead. We have LA, who's the, the, the government has decided, oh, we're going to build housing. It's like renting like six to $700,000 per unit. I mean, can you imagine? You would never invest in real estate that was six to $700,000 per unit. You wouldn't invest in an apartment building that was six or $700,000 per unit. You know, you're looking for something that's 100 to $150,000 per unit at the most. Right. And yet here the government's saying, well, it's six to seven hundred thousand. Well, that's because the government is extraordinarily inefficient and they have a lot of people knocking on their door looking for handouts, including unions. And I'm not going to be apologetic about unions. I'm not a fan. Um, but that you do. You have a lot of people. It's just expensive for the government to do something. Well, what if instead you provided credit? And so the low income housing tax credit is not something many people know about. It's, it's a credit that is, um, you get a certain amount every year as long as you have a certain proportion of your units at a certain rental rate for low-income housing. Okay, well, it can be huge. It's up to 70% of the cost of the building, but it's over a long period of time because what the government said is, look, we, want, we don't want you to just build it, do it for a year, and then, you know, raise the rents on everybody so it's not low-income housing more. They're actually putting in the rules that, look, this has to be low-income housing for the foreseeable future, else you're going to lose your tax benefit. Well, now you've got entrepreneurs who we all know, nobody, nobody, I mean, let me ask you this, Ben. So you're 21, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Think about your dream house and tell me, did the government build it? Absolutely not. I'm thinking, I think about um the Fountainhead and about how, you know, I want I want to, uh, Howard work, work to, to design my house. <laughs> there you go. There, there you go. So <laughs> well read. I'm, a, I'm impressed. Well read. You've read the Fountainhead. Great, great book. Um, uh, By the way, Ben, you want to know, you, you want a book to read that tells you about what's going on in this world right now? Read um, We the Living, which is Ayn Rand's first book. And it's about her escape from Soviet Russia. Yeah, I um, need to read that. I've read, I'm reading Philosophy, Who Needs oh, This good. by her right now. And I good. obviously have read Atlas Shrugged. That was the first yeah. one. But I read um, Anthem. Anthem was a really short, succinct book and yep. illustrating your point. Awesome. Anyway, so the point is, is that, you know, I mean, immediately when I said that, you laughed. I mean, it was, a, it was a visceral reaction. I think most people would have that visceral reaction. No, I don't want to live in government housing. Well, why is it we want homeless people to live in government housing? Why, why, why do they need to live in government housing? Can't they live in decent housing too? And the way to do that is don't let the government build the house. Look, governments are required. I wouldn't say they're good at it, but they're required for certain things. They're required for defense. They're required for infrastructure, okay? Um, those are probably the two things that I don't 
I'm not quite sure how you would do it without government. Okay. Um, and then you do have to have some capitalism requires some regulation. There's no question. I mean, capitalism would go wild without some regulation, but, but the government as a general rule doesn't do a very good job initiating a project. Okay. They're, they're better at helping to fund a project or they're better at um, incentivizing a project. Um, but, but they really shouldn't be doing it themselves. Do we really want the, the government, for example, why don't they just go build electric cars? They say that they want every, I mean, literally the EPA has said everybody has to be in an electric car by like 2035. That's what the regulations now intimate. I'm going, okay, well then go build a factory, go do it. Why, why have Detroit do it? Why have Tesla do it? Why not, why not the government do it? Well, nobody wants to drive a government car. We had those, we called them Yugos. And you don't remember that, but Yugos was a really bad car produced in the old Yugoslavia. And it was, and Yugoslavia was a, was, was a communist country. I'm going, people don't want that. People want something built by entrepreneurs. And so the, all we're talking about here, um, Ben, is the relationship between the entrepreneur and the government. Um, that's really all we're talking about. When you talk about the rich don't pay tax, it's not the rich, you know, rich people who earn a lot of money as wages or they're uh, actors or athletes, they pay an enormous amount of tax. I mean, enormous. When you talk about the rich who don't pay a lot of tax, you're talking fundamentally about entrepreneurs and investors um, because they're doing things that the government says, like to your point, not a loophole, a loophole polls unintended, right? I'll give you a loophole that people are going to are rushing to right now. And I guarantee you the same people who want to tax the rich are rushing to this loophole. And this is electric cars and the electric car credit. Most people are not going to qualify and most cars are not going to qualify for the electric car credit. However, if you lease the car, that's now a commercial vehicle and now you get the credit. So everybody's going to rush to lease their car. Why would you why would you ever buy an electric car that doesn't get a $7500 credit when you could lease an electric car and get a $7500 credit? I mean it makes no sense. It's just a financing alternative anyway. You can buy it 3 years from now. You still get to keep the credit. Okay? Right. So so my my point is is that okay, now that's a loophole. It is. It's actually a loophole. Um was not intended that way. It is a loophole though. Um and it's one that unless they shut it down, it's available if you're going to go buy an electric car you probably want to lease it. Um, but the rest of it that you're talking about, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you know, these billionaires that you, uh, historically, you know, went 20 years before they started paying tax. Well, now they're paying a lot of tax. Elon Musk paid more tax in 2021 than probably anyone in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. Okay. He paid billions of dollars in tax. Well, because there comes a point where you you end up paying the tax. And that's actually part of the exchange bin between the government and the, and the entrepreneur is that the government says, we will allow you to postpone paying taxes until you start earning money because we want you to have more capital to invest in what you're doing in your technology, in your business, in your real estate, until the time comes that it's producing so much profit that you're going to pay tax. And now we're going to take our share. Any investor, and I talk about this in my book, Win-Win Wealth Strategy, any investor would kill to have the position the government has and get put in 40% maximum, sometimes only 20, but that's your tax rates, right? They max out at 40%. Put in 40% and then you get a return, not for a few years, like a typical investment, but for the rest of the person's life, as long as the business is in business, the government gets the return. They invest once or they invest, let's take Tesla, invest over 20 years. How long is Tesla gonna be in business? Probably a hundred years, okay? So the government invests for that first 20 years and they get paid for a hundred years. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved that deal. And that's really all we're talking about. So this idea that, I mean, again, are there cheaters? No question. 
Um, do we need a few more audits? Probably. Do we need better technology to um, help people, encourage people to be voluntarily paying their tax? Yes. Um, but the reality is you, you pay tax voluntarily because you, uh, you volunteer how much you um, spend and how much you save versus how much you invest. Um, that's your decision. Nobody makes that decision for you. You make that decision. And if you make the decision to invest instead of spend or save, then you're making a decision to pay less tax. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess on, on that vein, um, you mentioned win-win, you know, but win-win. And I guess what are the strategies that people can, I guess we've, we've touched on a lot of them, but what are the specific things that the government wants us to do? But which ones of those are available to W-2 um, income earners? Yeah, so so the reality is everything's available for everybody. I mean, this is the United States of America we're talking about here. We're not talking about some communist country or some oppressive dictatorship, okay? Despite what people think, we are still probably the most liberal country in the world, okay? So that means that W-2 employees have these same options, right? Uh, the, a person who invests in a duplex. Let's say, let's say, let's, let's take you, Ben. Let's say you go out there and you go, well, I'm going to need a place to live. Okay. You're graduating. I need a place to live. I get a job. I invest in a duplex. I'm going to live in one side. I'm going to rent out the other. You get the exact same tax benefits that a Donald Trump gets for Trump tower. They're just on a smaller scale, fewer zeros, but you get the same because we have in our constitution, a provision called the equal protection of the law, which means that everybody gets treated the same in the same circumstance. You get to choose your circumstance. You may not choose your income, but you get to choose. You get to choose what you do with that income. And yes, you might. You know, you. You. I mean, you get to choose. Do I spend the money on a at Starbucks or do I? put the money aside and actually invest it. I mean, that's a choice, right? Do I, do I spend money on, um, you know, going out? Do I invest, do I invest that money? I mean, I, if I, if I choose to go out and I want to spend my money that way, fine, but just recognize it's a choice. So everybody gets these. So let me kind of walk through. There's seven investments. I call them seven investments. The government will pay you to make because in every case, the government is heavily contributing to your investment. And the first five all start with business. So this can be a side gig. This can be a, you know, this can be something you do. Um, I mean, it's literally, you, you could be doing it while you're going to school. You could be doing it while you're working, but this is a side hustle, if you will. That's the term of the day is a side hustle. It doesn't have to be your full-time job and you still get the same tax benefits. Um, it's just on a smaller scale. Okay, now you want to be able to make a profit. Your your goal of a business is to make a profit. Okay, well, why would you be in a business that wasn't the goal wasn't to make a profit anyway? I mean, that's ridiculous. So um, you need to make sure that you're focused on, okay, how do I make a profit? The next four tax benefits all rely on a business first. So the second one is technology. So uh, you know, you're in business and you you build technology. All right. So that's part of um, the business, right? So you, you, again, you start with business, you add a technology, and then you go into real estate. Okay. You start a business, um, you've added technology. Now you need a place, uh, to do the business. Well, buy a building. Okay. Instead of renting, buy a building, or let's say you decide your business is going to be real estate rental. That's still a business. So you get the business tax benefits. If you do technology, you get those tax benefits. And then on top of that, you get the real estate tax benefits. Now you can go to the next step. What about energy? Well, now I put solar on my building. All right. So I just put $100,000 of solar on my commercial office building where my CPA firm and my other businesses are located. And I'm going to get a tax deduction and a tax credit because I'm not just benefiting me. I'm benefiting all my employees. Okay. I'm benefiting all my customers. Okay. They all get the benefit too. So it's not just me. Um, so now we've got, they're stacked. So we're stacking tax benefits. The next one is um, agriculture. I mean, agriculture, you produce food for other people, huge tax benefits. I've really actually never met a farmer or rancher who 
paid income tax. They, they're just not required. The, the law is so generous to them because food is such an important part of our national security and our national well-being. Uh, we have to have food and shelter. So those two things, we have huge tax incentives. So those are the, the those are the first five, and they're by far the biggest tax incentives. So there are two that don't require business, and one is life insurance. And we don't think about life insurance um, frequently as a tax benefit, but it really is because um, it's the same. So so actually, life insurance and the next one is retirement plan. So they're very closely related, right? Life insurance really is a way to put away assets into a safe place that will grow and that are available to us when we need them in an emergency. That's what life insurance is. Um, whereas your retirement plan is something, okay, you, you put the money in, it'll grow. And then when you retire, you're going to need it. You're going to pull it out. So those two are really more in the investment, uh, personal investment side, as opposed to investing to serve other people. Okay. Now the good news is that even in those, uh, life insurance, who are you protecting? Well, you are protecting yourself because in a good life insurance plan, you it's whole life insurance. So it's actually life insurance that you're going to use while you're alive. You, you can use it in your own in your own life. It's not death insurance. But then there's the term insurance, which is death insurance, right? And that's to protect your family. So you are protecting other people here. And uh, life insurance has some uh, just... In, I mean, basically, it's just never taxed. You don't get a deduction going in. Think of it as a uh, as a huge Roth IRA. You know, just you can really max out. People go, how do I max out my Roth? I'm going by whole life. That's how you max out because whole life has the same advantages of a Roth. The difference is that you, if you if you if you put your money in a Roth IRA or Roth 401k. You can't use that money at any time until you retire, really. Um, you can borrow 50% for five years. You can borrow 50% of your 401k, but you can't just use it. In a life insurance, you can't, okay? You actually have a lot more flexibility because the life insurance company is required to lend you uh, money equivalent to your cash surrender value. Now, on the, on the retirement side, we have our normal retirement vehicles, 401k, IRA, um, Pension plans, private sharing plans. Um, these are also the government incentivizes. What's interesting, Ben, is that when I did the analysis and when and wealth, because I like numbers, so I always do the financial analysis. And when I did the analysis, what I found was that the government wins big in the first six types of um, investments. They do not win in retirement. They break even. That's the best the that the government does. So people, so what's what's interesting to me, um, because I know we we share the same sentiment is that you have all these people saying tax the rich and they're taking advantage of the government. And yet the only and, and yet the only tax shelter, so to speak, that they would say would be okay would be a 401k IRA. But that's the only one where the government does make money. So Really, you're saying, well, wait a minute, my tax incentive is good, yours not. Okay, where the reality is, it's probably the reverse. And people don't want to hear that, but that's probably the case. Um, uh, the, the, the big tax incentives are for those people who um, really do those things the government wants done. And there, then there are little tax incentives that are really, the government wants you to protect yourself. So life insurance is a protection. Um, they, they, it's really for widows and orphans is what life insurance. That's why we have life insurance um, tax benefits is because we want to protect the widows and orphans. Um, and then we have uh, retirement benefits because the government doesn't want to fund it all. In, in this country, you know, in France, they've been protesting, right? Because they raised the retirement age from 62 to 64. Uh, they're protesting because they don't have extra money. They don't make that much money to begin with. They are dependent on the government. They don't, you know, unless they're an entrepreneur, they don't, they don't really have extra money. They, they can't save. You, you don't have the millionaire next door. Um, if you ever read that book, you know, we don't have the millionaire next door in France because you can't save your way to a million dollars. It's very hard to save your way to a million dollars in France. Um, much easier to do in the U S but on the other hand, the government takes care of them. We don't have that here. The government has said, 
in the US, we don't want to be your sole means of support. We want you to take responsibility for yourself. We want you to be, you know, self-determination. This is about you being in charge of your life. We want you to have the freedom to do that. Um, other countries, they say, we're going to take that. Um, so it's a difference between the US and most of, and a lot of other countries. It's kind of the difference between capitalism and socialism, frankly. Um, yeah. But that that's where we are. So, um, you know, there's seven. I mean, you can get more details in the book and I go through examples. And by the way, um, I looked at 15 different countries uh, while I was researching this book and do charts and tables for 15 different countries. And uh, it's remarkable how similar the countries are from one to another, whether you're talking about Asia, Australia, um, South Africa, you're talking about South America, doesn't matter. Um, pretty much all governments want the same things for their people and they provide tax incentives to help get those. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess switching to more, um, you know, what can we do in that kind of note of what can we do to protect ourselves from taxes or kind of set ourselves up well, I guess to give kind of a, a case study, um, I'm 21. I haven't started earning significant income yet and I don't own any properties yet. Is there any sort of estate planning that I should be thinking about? Like any sort of trust structures that makes sense to try to set up now? Maybe, maybe not because I don't have the, the income to support that. But I guess how would you, a young person who's graduating college, think about structuring their, their estate planning even now? No, number one is get educated, right? So that's, that's the most, uh, the, the more, the biggest and most important investment you'll ever make is your education and particularly your financial education. So that's number one, actually, is your financial education. Um, number two is, uh, remember, as uh, my friend Robert Kiyosaki says, uh, investing is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. So what you want to do is you want to start meeting people networking with people, getting to know people that can help you on your team that can do things you can't do. So you need to know, uh, understand what does a financial advisor do? You need to understand what does a CPA do? What does an insurance agent do? What do, what, what does a bookkeeper do? Um, my, my mother, um, who was an accountant, she did the accounting for my, my dad's uh, business. She was the controller. She told us as kids, she goes, there's the two most important people in your financial life are going to be your insurance agent and your CPA. And um, I thought, well, cool. So I'll be the, I'll be the CPA because I'd like to be somebody's most important person in their financial life. I think that would be cool. And, uh, and, and so you really do need to start. I, I would say the very first thing is, you know, you know, get, get the mentors, get the team, the people who, because once you start making money, you want to have the education. It's like right now I hear people say, well, you know, that the economy is, you know, it's, it's upside down and, you know, it's, we're going to have this big crash and everything. And I don't want to invest any money right now. I'm just going, well, now's the time you got to be investing in your education because should that crash come, you want to be ready to pull the trigger because those deals aren't going to last for 10 years, like they did the last go around. They're going to last for one or two years because people learned from the last, from 2008, 9, 10. They learned we're not going to sit on the sidelines and, and wait. Now we're going to do something. So you have a lot more people with a lot more financial education and you're going to be left in the dust. So I, I would get your, I would get really financially educated and I would build that team around. And then the next thing I would do is decide what type of investing you are interested in. Um, I, I really believe the old adage that says a niche will make you rich. Um, my niche is tax advice. That's my niche. Okay. I don't, I don't give financial advice. I don't give insurance advice. I give tax advice. Um, I'm really good at it. Um, and I, because I've spent 40 years learning it. Okay. And that's what I do. So, um, get really good at something, find something that you love. I mean, I love taxes because I think it's the most interesting game in the world. Um, and it is a game. We're all players in the game. We just choose whether we win or lose the game. That's all. Um, that's, that's our only choice. We don't get to choose whether we play the game. We're all playing the game. Um, it's just some of us decide to sit on the sidelines. We're bench players in the game of tax. And as bench players, we just get to watch the game go by and we pay a lot of tax. 
Um, so we tend to be tax mules. Um, if, uh, if, we're, if we're active and we're ready to go and we're learning and we're getting the education, we can jump in the game and we can be active partners with the government. And wouldn't you rather be an active partner with the government than a silent partner with the government? And that's, that's the choice. I think right now, Ben, it's about making choices. It's about getting educated, getting the team around and making choices um, because you've got to decide what am I, what, when I do invest, what am I going to invest in? I mean, even when you take real estate, okay? So here's, we're, we're in a real estate show here. Uh, commercial, residential, industrial. I'd start there. Okay. Now let's say I'm in commercial. Okay. So if I'm commercial, am I front office, back office, retail? What kind of commercial am I in? Am I, am I in class A properties, B properties, C properties? Um, then I have to go, okay, now I have to get even, even narrow. Okay, I decide I'm gonna do I'm gonna do retail space. All right. Well, let's take an easy one. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do self-storage. Okay. Okay, where are you gonna do self-storage? How big is your self-storage? Is it gonna be inside, outside? Is it gonna be climate controlled or not? Um, uh, you know, what, um, what, what, how much population do you need around you? What do you need parking or do you just, or, or, or is, is everything just, you know, this, uh, square that people travel around in order to get to their unit, right? Or is that all inside, you know, cube smarts gone all indoors, right? They're completely climate controlled and all indoors. Is it just, uh, RVs, right? You have just a place for RVs and boats. Um, where people can store that, you know, so even when you get to something as simple, I mean, self-storage is about as the most simple real estate you can think of because there's just no moving parts. There's a gate and there's the box cameras. In, many boxes inside a bigger box. That's it. And, and you know, there, and, and there's, 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 there's security gates, there's security cameras, and you probably got one employee, right? And that's it. That's about as simple as you get in real estate. And yet even then, you've got all these decisions to make. So I would get educated. I would just figure out what is it I'm going to invest in. Don't get the worst thing you can do is chasing returns. Mm -hmm. That is, um, you know, we, we got a term for it now, squirrel, right? Up, I'm squirreling. I'm going off topic. I'm going off subject. I'm going, oh, I see the bright, shiny object. Don't squirrel. All right, yeah. stick stick with the niche, and it will make you rich. Sounds yeah, that's a, that's a good plan. Sounds good. Um, I guess one quick question before the lightning round: How do I avoid self-employment tax? Ah, so if you're going to start a business, so so rental real estate, no self-employment tax, so you don't even have to worry about it. Um, investing in the stock market, no self-employment tax, don't have to worry about. Self-employment tax comes from that self-employment. You own your own business. All right. So the way you do that is it's um, a lot of how much tax you pay depends on how you own your business and um, owning your business through an S corporation, C corporation, a limited liability company taxes an S corporation or C corporation. Those will allow you to reduce your self-employment tax. You can't eliminate employment taxes under the law, but you can reduce them substantially. And this is, but then if, if you're to the point where you're worried about some employment tax, um, you need a CPA on your team because you need to sit down with a professional advisor and uh, ask for their help about exactly, you know, what are all the details? Because you need to dot your I's and cross your T's. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess one last quick question. Are there any changes in the very near future that you fear are going to make a big impact? And um, yeah, I just curious about that. Uh, changes to the negative, probably not. Um, I think there's some potential changes to the positive. I know there are some bills uh, in Congress right now that are looking at restoring some of prior tax benefits. Um, but I, I think that more likely what will happen is we won't see any major tax legislation until 2025. And in 2025, I almost guarantee you have major tax legislation. The only way you don't is if the, the, the uh, political party who controls the uh, White House is different from the political party that controls Congress. Um, if if that's the case, if they're split like that, we won't see, we'll see a deadlock for another four years. But for now, we have that deadlock because we have Republican House, we have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic uh, White House. Um, if it were to all go Republican or all go Democrat, 
I'd almost guarantee you're going to see major changes in 2025. All right. Sounds good. And they're not coming after the Roth for the time being, it seems. No, no, I, I don't see a reason they would ever come out after the Roth. I, I don't think they're going to. All right. Sounds good. Well, appreciate that. So ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. So if you got any superpower, what would it be? Oh, superpower. Wow. That's it. So you, this is a good questions. These are good <laughs> questions. Um, you know, the, the superpower I do have is asking questions. And I kind of like that superpower. Um, I would ask better questions. I would even be able to ask. I would be the Barbara Walters of tax advice. Of tax advisors is who I would be because I think the better questions we ask, um, the better information we get, and and then we also need to ask ourselves our own questions, you know, so that we can be introspective and really know who we are. But I, I think it's to me, number one superpower is uh, asking asking the best questions possible. And you have a good Einstein quote on that one. Yes. Um, which, which, which Einstein quote do you want on that no, one? I, well, I, 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 the one I'm thinking of is the six-year-old quote. I like that one. I, um, I was thinking of the one that you spend 55 minutes. If you have an hour to solve a problem, you have 55 minutes asking questions and then yep. five minutes with a solution. There you go. There you go. Because think about what you, when you go to a doctor, that's what they do. They spend 14 minutes asking you questions and one minute giving you the solution. That's, and it's, but really it's better questions. So, you know, Einstein also said that, um, or reported as, as, as having said, I'm not sure. It's, he's kind of like Mark Twain now, um, you know, how much is really his um, or Shakespeare. But uh, he also is reported to have said that any um, six-year-old can explain something um, to a genius, but it takes a genius to explain something to a six-year-old. So I think that simplifying is absolutely a superpower. And part of simplifying is asking good questions. Great. So what's your favorite book or the ones that, or what's the one that has helped you the most? Oof, so, so many. Um, I think the most recent one uh, has been Who Not How. That's a Dan Sullivan uh, book. And uh, this is about getting, don't, you don't have to do it yourself. You need to find people who can do it instead and let yeah. other people do what they're good at. Yeah, it's a good book. I, I like that one. So um, what motivates you to continue every day? Oh, uh, I, um, you know, I, I'm a dreamer and I, I always dream of a better world. I always dream of, you know, how do I better, better help people? How do I, you know, how do, how do things get better? And I love dreamers. And uh, another term for dreamers is entrepreneurs. Uh, every entrepreneur is a dreamer. Uh, not every dreamer is an entrepreneur, but every, every entrepreneur is a dreamer. And so um, everything I can do um, to serve entrepreneurs, and if that's getting them more capital uh, by way of lower taxes, then that's what I want to do. Um, that that's, you know, that's my technical superpower, if you will, is, is lowering taxes. Um, but that's really just a, a way of raising capital, right? I'm just raising it from the government um, instead of like Tesla raises it from their employees, from their uh, customers. Sorry, they, they, they like to raise money from their customers. But capital is the heart of capitalism and entrepreneurs need capital. So um, anything I can do to help an entrepreneur is going to motivate me. Awesome. And so what's one final piece of advice you'd give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, know who you are. Uh, know who you are and you know what you care about. Uh, really analyze your values. Um, one, of, one of my values is break it. Uh, I don't know a lot of people with that value. Uh, Elon Musk would be one of those. And I certainly love Elon Musk. I'm a big, huge fan. Um, but we, you know, not don't just keep doing the same thing. You know, but know who you are. If if that's not your value, that if you don't value breaking it and improving, that's fine. That's what you. But know who you are, and, and know it. Know know it deeply. Um, be introspective and uh, recognize your weaknesses as well as your strengths. Yeah, I'll give you a quote from one of my favorite my favorite authors. Um, I guess it's Plato attributing to Socrates, but um, the unexamined life is not worth living. There you go. And so lastly, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. What's the one question you have for me? What's the one thing that you would like to devote your life to do? The one thing that I like to devote my life to do. So the, 
making it one thing is is I guess it's important, but it's not, that's the the hardest the hardest part of it, uh, the hardest aspect. I guess fundamentally, it's the it's the um, same thing that I guess you know the philosophers do. I want to I'm striving for wisdom, and I want to continue growing myself every single day by learning, you know, by exploring my self knowledge, understanding what the world is, understanding um, what I am, who I am, and you know, ultimately, that's the the growth that I think will help me disseminate beauty and goodness into the world that if I, nice. I grow my wisdom, I can put out what I think will create a better world. But um, I guess on the and other side, you. yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. I, I said, maybe I should leave it at that, but I do want to invest in, in real estate um, and, and, and own a lot of multifamily properties. Cause I, I, I love the idea of just providing for a physiological need for someone. I'm putting a roof over people's heads and um, I love the idea of providing a genuine um, quality service to people who, who need it. And, um, you know, that's a part of real estate investing that is not only great for returns for, um, for tax purposes, but great for society. And I, I, I love, love multifamily for that reason. I, I love that, Ben. So by the way, um, congratulations on opening yourself up to that question. That is uh, that's a pretty gutsy move. And, uh, and, and also congratulations. Curiosity is probably the greatest superpower anybody can have. And when I hear you talk, that's what I'm hearing is curiosity. So that is in and of itself, a superpower. Well, means a lot. I appreciate that. Well, um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I've, I've learned a lot and I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure hopefully everyone who's listening is a little bit more excited about taxes as, as we are, but, um, where can people find out more about what you have to offer? Um, well, of course, there's not my two books, Tax-Free Wealth and the Win-Win Wealth Strategy. Um, and then our website, wealthability.com, wealthability.com. So um, we do have a network of 65 CPA firms around the world, around the country, excuse me. And uh, it, we are, we're kind of the easy button for finding a great tax advisor. Awesome. Well, that's it. I definitely encourage anyone to, who has just struggled over the last couple of weeks with their taxes to go go ahead and do that. Um, and absolutely check out the books because it's been super helpful and exciting and has motivated me to take control of this aspect of my life that is going to, you know, yield rewards, but also just, you know, create the the flexibility in my life that I'm hoping to achieve. So, so I appreciate you uh, helping all of us with your incredible resources. Thanks, Ben. All right, Tom and everyone listening, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.